Welcome to the Coconuts Podcast. Today is June 12th, 2020. The Coconuts Podcast delivers impactful, weird, and wondrous reporting by our journalists on the ground in eight cities, Singapore, Bangkok, Hong Kong, Manila, Jakarta, KL, Yangon, and Bali. Listen to headline news and insightful interviews on matters large and small designed for people located in or curious about Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. I'm Byron Perry. I'm Vim Shanmukam. And I'm Samali. This episode is brought to you by Hotel Nico Bali Benoa Beach. Even during lockdown, you're able to plan your next post-quarantine getaway to our tropical retreat on the famed and picturesque Tanjung Benoa Beach. The rich and harmonious blend of Japanese traditions and Balinese hospitality is sure to ease any qualms you may have. To find out more, visit hotelnicobali-benoabeach.com. Book your stay during any weekend up to 28 June to enjoy the weekend flash sale for a flexible stay until the 24th of December and lend yourself a deluxe room for the best price possible, meals included. Don't forget to use the promo code FLASH20 and terms and conditions apply. A Bali getaway sounds pretty nice, huh? Mm-hmm. Travel. <laughs> uh, Travel, I'm... wistful. Uh, wistful. Airport. Being outside. <laughs> yeah, I'm not looking forward to the process of the airport now, you know? Yeah. Mm. It was already bad and now, well, I guess in Singapore, we're a little lucky. You know, things are quite efficient, but mm. I am not, you know, going to be a fan of what's going to happen like around the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in luck if you want to know what flying may be like, because on this episode... For a feature story, I spoke with Laurel Chor, um, a journalist based in Hong Kong. She actually used to work for Coconuts and worked for Vice News. And she uh, documented her entire trip back from Europe to Hong Kong, all of the rules and regulations and testing and quarantine she had to go through. Um, that may be the new normal. I'm getting very sick of that phrase, the new normal. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Yeah. It's like a drinking game every time someone says new normal. <laughs> take a shot you will I think be that is like the definition of our era now the new normal era <laughs> yeah anyways on to our top stories of the week guys first story of the week is coming to you from southern thailand where an angry man charged and pulled a gun on rival clam uh farmers uh on a jet ski um so a little <laughs> bit of um road rage of the sea i guess um <laughs> Santai Nualsen just wanted to harvest a bounty of valuable blood clams he'd seeded the sea floor with. So when dozens of other fishermen arrived to poach his precious mollusks, he did what any sensible entrepreneur would do. He mounted a jet ski and charged them while waving a gun and firing warning shots. <laughs> um, the best thing about this story, first of all, nobody got hurt, so great, um, is, but, is that he got busted for live streaming it himself. On <laughs> the video is still up. You can watch the whole thing. It's like half an hour. He speaks a bunch of angry um, missives in the beginning. And I, I, I mean, I don't um, speak Thai that well. I did used to understand it pretty well, but pretty sure he's saying these motherfuckers are going to uh, are harvesting my, my mollusks. And so he goes out there with a gun and um, yeah. In the footage, a few shots are heard fired as Santi angrily shouts at the flotilla of fishing boats. Go away, go away. Can you just go the fuck away? (laughs) Um, So, yeah. um, Virality, road rage of the sea. 
in southern Thailand. Thank God nobody got hurt. I love it. It looks like it could be like a screenshot out of GTA, but you know, just based in Thailand and like about clam wars. What? Clam wars. <laughs> yeah, that's clam a spin-off wars. idea right there. Copy <laughs> <me> my check. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I appreciate the irony of blood clams. Oh. Yeah. Blood Bottles. money. Blood yeah, they're really good. You steam <laughs> them and eat them with like a really spicy and sour seafood sauce. They're they're delicious. Oh. Are they like hard to find? Is that why? And really like um, expensive or something? Like is that no. why? I mean, but there were his, I'm pretty sure. Like basically it was like somebody, the equivalent of stealing from your orchard or your farm. It's just a, in this case, it's a, you know, a sea farm of cockles. Mm. Okay. Um, did say that he... He had paid two million baht to breed these cockles, which is about sixty thousand U.S. dollars. So Oof. yeah, not not a small sum. Oh, hey, wow. I take a gun out on a water ski to jet ski. Yeah, if somebody like took my clams for sixty thousand dollars. <laughs> it's a bit weird because I guess it says the other fisherman said his clams were in a public area, so they had the right to gather them. And then mm. Suratani governor, this is Suratani province in southern Thailand, which mm. uh, Koh Samui is in said the sea within 5.4 kilometers of the coast is public property and open to all. So maybe he didn't really have the right to farm his clams there. I think it's a little unclear, but um, yeah, clam wars. Hashtag clam wars. <laughs> Hashtag clam Love wars. It. <laughs> uh, well, to switch gears, our next story comes from West Nusa Tenggara, where a man allegedly tricked 40 men, other men, into getting massages by pretending to be a woman. Uh-oh. So. <laughs> so basically, uh, a man in Mataram uh, has been claimed to have tricked at least 40 men um, into getting massages from him um, by advertising online. He put a woman's photo online, not him, obviously. And these 40 guys came in and got a massage. Uh, basically, he darkened the room, wore a hijab. <laughs> okay. And, and- and um, basically uh, massage uh, these guys. And, and uh, he claims that nothing beyond that happened. They were just massages. And none of the guys actually like mm-hmm. found out. How he, got, um, how he got found out was that the photo that he used, um, the lady's photo that he used was actually his old school friend. And she found out via Facebook and basically reported him. And now he's obviously like um, been charged and... <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> awaiting his sentencing. But but yeah, it's kind of a funny story. I'm just a little, um, I don't know, 40 guys and none of them figured it out. Like, I feel like it's a bit, you know, something something sketch happened, obviously. I just think that that means that he knows his market. And yeah, he's just he's just playing the game. Don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> For me, I'm like, what's the crime here? Yeah, man. He just knows his market. <laughs> Massages were given. Uh, ostensibly, they were enjoyed. Um, allegedly no, nothing beyond massages took place because I think, yeah, prostitution is, I believe, illegal in Indonesia. Mm. This is in Lombok, by the way. Um, so next to Bali. Mm. Uh, but yeah, what's the crime? Is it a crime to give a massage? Um, I guess false advertisement, maybe. Yeah, Yeah. I think false advertising, uh, identity theft, because that's... (laughs) Okay, fair enough, fair enough. And uh, he probably didn't have a permit as well. Uh, to um. be conducting massage because he did it actually at his own room at a boarding house. So you can't actually have a business uh, in your dark boarding house room. 
interesting. Unless your customers are into it. Uh, 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 I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe this is after he gets out of jail, if he goes to jail, what his, he just needs to advertise it correctly and um, mm. yeah, take off the hijab and go to town. Something <laughs> tells something tells me that he'll be doing a lot of massages in prison as well if he ends up there. Oh. So. <laughs> he could be the designated massage person. I don't know. <laughs> sure. I don't sure. know if we can include that, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and over in Singapore, nearly 30,000 people say no to tracking devices for Singaporeans. Yay, live from this surveillance state. Uh, yeah, so nearly 30,000 people and counting have signed an online petition on change.org opposing the use of human tracking devices for COVID-19 contact tracing, citing privacy concerns. And yeah, the online petition was launched over the weekend after Minister Vivian Balakrishnan said in Parliament that such devices could be rolled out to everyone in Singapore. For context, I think we have like about 6 billion people in Singapore currently. 6 so, million. Six mil Sorry, I said 6 billion. <laughs> <laughs> 6 million, my bad. I live here, I promise. Billions and billions and billions. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and this came on the heels of the ineffective Trace Together app, which he said does not work well on Apple devices due to technical difficulties, meaning it cannot be made compulsory. Because who the heck is using an Android? I'm just kidding, but you know. Yes. <laughs> no, that's very valid. Who is? Mm -hmm. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Vivian did not mention whether the use of the wearable device could be mandated because like... I don't know, um, who's to say you could put it on a cat and let it run free um, into the wild? Mm -hmm. Not that I'm suggesting it, but it's a possibility. <laughs> I will be putting it on Baxter, my chihuahua. Oh my God, he's going to run to Treasure Kong, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, I believe this has to do with Apple's privacy protections, that basically Apple will not share the level of data that is required to make the um, tracing app work. And so mm. now they're proposing these... Um, physical tracking devices which yeah that's 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 a lot mm. I'll yeah. be real with you. i signed the petition too because we um so i just learned this but we are the ranked the 11th most surveyed city in the world last year yeah. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, shit yeah i mean i think it's just uh, it's not gonna happen right because i mean uh just from a vice point of view like no no one no one's gonna ha bring a token to like a ktv or like you know <laughs> a tight disco like none yes. of these things are gonna happen so there will be sort of some i'm sure it'll hit fever pitch at some point but they're they're rolling it out they are rolling it out in some form or fashion right like it's confirmed the physical trackers um i think so yeah or no i don't know but the i tokens? did see that like publishers? I don't think it is. Okay. Right. Uh, as of right now, um, right. I think they're talking about it and there's been a huge backlash and so it's unclear mm. what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Moving on to Bangkok again, uh, Coconuts Bangkok did a more in-depth feature story about how restaurants in the Thai capital have just been devastated by this ongoing um, ban on serving alcohol. Um, we spoke to lots of different restaurateurs and proprietors throughout Bangkok, and they're really getting hammered. Um, one woman, Supawat Palm Mutaratna, which I probably butchered, said, a foreigner once asked me, I'm Catholic, why can't I drink alcohol? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how to answer him. Friends I know who work in restaurants and bars in other countries don't face the same problem. 
She is the bar manager of the Foodie Collection Group, which includes Il Fumo, 1919, La Dota, and Vesper. Vesper is a very famous bar. And she Mm -hmm. says this one-size-fits-all rule is suffocating whole businesses. Um, Also, American food writer-turned-restaurateur Jarrett Risley said he had lost up to 50% of his revenues due to this prohibition. Um, Yeah, so, you know, Bangkok is such a vibrant place for food and drink. Um, I actually heard that it could uh, be reenacted that they will be able to serve as soon as next week, hopefully. So mm-hmm. let's hope that happens because um, it's quite sad to see these cities, um, Bangkok, Singapore, everywhere throughout the region, Hong Kong, or although Hong Kong's been open for a while, but lose um, their vibrant F&B scenes. So pray for the restaurants that they may be able to serve booze again soon, please, Lord. so right now the situation is that uh some restaurants are open or all restaurants are open and you can only you can only go to the restaurant and you know uh, they have like social distancing procedures in place but the even those restaurants can't sell alcohol yes okay it's a bit silly so Mm. in fact the coconuts bangkok has a sentence right here um Although dining in at restaurants has been allowed since May 3rd, all bars must remain closed and restaurants can sell alcohol only for takeaway or delivery. So it's just kind of weird. It's like, why is alcohol being sent, you know, uh, centered, uh, picked on? Everything is kind of open except for alcohol. So restaurants can be open. They can serve food. Um, How is being able to serve a beer? Um, going to actually change the social distancing aspect of that. But I yeah. guess I did see Prayut, the prime minister, said, and he does have a good point. He's like, alcohol makes you a moron. So you do <laughs> stupid shit, like <laughs> break social distancing. And that's like, okay, f- fair play. Actually, that's true. Yeah. Well, but how does that work for BYO restaurants then? Are they thriving? Are they not allowed? Or <laughs> mm, Well, there aren't really BYO restaurants in uh-huh. Thailand because booze is so cheap anyway that like, and licensing, uh, yeah, it can be modified. So, I mean, there's a lot of restaurants where it's like a, sh- a stall and they'll just run to 7-Eleven for you and get you the beer, you know. Oh. Mm. Um, but, yeah, you can't be serving alcohol. So it doesn't matter where it comes from. They, you can't be drinking and serving alcohol at a, uh, at a restaurant. Okay. Come serve take, yourself. Takeaway is fine. Like takeaway or delivery of alcohol is fine. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one, right? Because, um, yeah, you would, like, like to enjoy your meal and have a drink. But I just feel like even with the social distancing and all the, you know, the mesh or not even mesh, the plastic uh, mm-hmm. dividers and all that stuff, like, would you even want to be in a bar with all that stuff and enjoying a drink? I feel like it just takes away from the reason you want to have a drink, you know, socialize and, and you know, enjoy the atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. Do it over a Zoom call. <laughs> yeah. No, no more Zoom drinks. <laughs> <laughs> You're allergic now. <laughs> Not a fan. Um, but bars, I mean, this is talking about restaurants have the plastic dividers right now in Bangkok, but bars, that remains to be seen what will happen there because I guess, yeah, I guess maybe they kind of make it that you can't just pack in and have everybody standing up. You have to be at a table and then there is plastic dividers. But, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're going to find out soon because I do think I've heard and I think I've read on Coconuts that uh, bars are are being targeted to open fairly soon. So Mm, let's see. Mm. 
Yeah, and we're going to switch gears a little bit and go to Coconuts Indonesia, where we have an original story about the state of Indonesian women's basketball. Um, here's a little excerpt from that. Money appears to be one of the main stumbling blocks in further developing female basketball in Indonesia. Despite being the country's only professional basketball competition for women, Srikandi Cup's operation costs are mostly covered by participating clubs, with the Indonesian Basketball Association only in charge of assigning referees. Dedi Setiawan, Srikandi Cup coordinator and the owner of Merpati Bali, said that many clubs have struggled to find sponsors. Since its inception in 2017, the competition and the clubs have lacked sponsors. Clubs are mostly funded by personal money, not investors, Daddy said. Limited resources are preventing clubs from paying their players decently. A far cry from the glamour of established leagues, Srikanti Cup players are paid as little as half of the provincial minimum wage. So that's kind of an interesting story, right? Like about the funding of the the essentially the women's NBA in Indonesia. Yeah, it's just about, um, well, the headline is social expectations and financial constraints are blocking the rise of Indonesian women's basketball. And it sounds like there is some real promise in Indonesia to be become a better women's basketball international team. Obviously, it's mm -hmm. a huge country, 250 million people, roughly fourth biggest country in the, in the um, world. But uh, apparently there is some financial constraints and some social expectations that are holding back Indonesia from becoming um, a powerhouse that maybe it could be. And that's basically the deep dive we uh, looked into with this Coconuts Jakarta story. Mm. Summer, did you ever play basketball? I did not. I am a volleyball girl. <laughs> ah, and are you a um, digger? Uh, I'm a spiker, so I can slap really? you real hard. Yeah, Ben. As short as I am, I know you guys have seen me in real I'm life. Like, mm, really? <laughs> mm. Okay, to be fair, everyone in Singapore is kind of small, so. Okay, because yeah, the spikers back in like my um, high school and college were like six four. Well, yeah, I'm for... I'm five one. <laughs> for reference, so I'm all the way down here, but I still could slap you. Absolutely, it's it's, it's not about height; it's about slapping power. For sure, try it. <laughs> You probably probably have a lot of uh, experience with boyfriends with that. <laughs> the overhead spike on the face. <laughs> People get out of line. That's that's how you can deal with them. Now we know who to call if mm -hmm. anyone gets out of line. Yeah, let me know. I'm free. <laughs> yeah, I can't speak too much about like obviously the Indonesian basketball in general, but yeah, I think it's kind of a bummer, right? Like that you know they're on half the minimum wage and sort of self-funding which is kind of uh not to use the word pandemic but just just a common thing in the region for a lot of sports as well yeah you know? so um yeah i hope there is some solution there and yeah you can read more about this on coconut jakarta hmm. i'm not wondering if this is a thing where like you know whenever there's funding to be cut the women's section goes first you know like in terms of basketball like maybe we prioritize i'm um, sure yeah the all-male team yeah Always. So sad. And, you know, there was the women's soccer team in the U.S. that was fighting for equal pay. Mm. And I don't know what the status of that is, but pretty sure, Vim, you, you may know better than me, but like 
they very demonstrably generate like way more revenue than men's soccer, but they're still paid less. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, like, uh, actually, like we covered that little bit on yesterday's Coco Chat um, yeah. with mm -hmm. the football leader who is, you know, the female voice of football. And uh, that's actually a good chat to check out if you are a football lover. But yeah, you're right. Like uh, the women's game in the U.S. is the premier football um, game and they generate way more than the guys, um, although you know, um, they did try to get, you know, equal, equal pay. Um, it was first denied that it's still an ongoing fight. I think mm -hmm. they have a lot of supporters. And I think it comes to the point where if your team is the team that you're known for, I think, you know, it's only fair, you know, like no one thinks to the U.S. right now. And it's like, oh, I don't even think I could name five U.S. men uh, soccer players, but I could name probably the whole uh, women's soccer team, you know, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I think it's, 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 it's whoever the team, whichever team, um, is sort of the team that brings that glory to that country should, you know, should certainly be recognized in not just in fame, but you know, where it actually counts in their financial wallets. Yeah. Mm. Mm, for sure. Okay. And over in Coconuts Manila, we also have a piece of news about how coronavirus has affected learning and education in schools. So the headline for this one is poor Filipino children are planning to drop out of school because of blended learning. So yeah, the COVID-19 pandemic has stoked fears that children will catch the respiratory illness in educational institutions, leading President Rodrigo Duterte, yay, ugh, to proclaim that schools should remain closed until a vaccine becomes available. The Department of Education is now toying with the idea of offering blended learning, which will use a combination of television, the internet, radio, and printed materials. But of course, blended learning brings with it a slew of problems. Just ask the mothers of Sisio, it's a sub-village, San Roque, in Quezon City, who might end up postponing their children's schooling just because they can't afford the costs associated with it. Mm. So yeah, definitely technology is kind of um, very widespread. And yeah, we can say stuff like, oh, you can just Google it. But I think yeah. we tend to forget like um, that not everybody might have equal access to technology and the internet. So yeah, Ines Seldin who's 29, is a mother of two and she has been living in the disputed community since 2009. So she tells Coconuts Manila in a phone interview that her 8-year-old daughter, Bin, Binchi, uh, an incoming grade 3 student, has already learned that she will need to stop her education this year. So Seldin said that before COVID-19 hit, she had downloaded modules for her daughter, which were sent to them by teachers on Facebook Messenger, and she has to pay for data. That's data for the Americans and Australians. <laughs> no, <laughs> which, I say data. data. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Data, I data. think Americans might data, say, data. would say both. So yeah, she has to pay for data. And yeah, so it starts at 50 pesos. That's one USD for three days. And the printing of the modules, um, if she were to pay for an internet subscription, she would have to shell out as much as 1,500 pesos. That is 30 USD each month. Something she could not afford because her husband had actually lost his job due to the quarantine. Yeah, it's a really sad story. Like... Unfortunately, there's not much positive about it. It's that schools are closed because uh, of the pandemic and fear mm. of spreading the virus. And so they're going to this online blended learning situation, but lower income people who can't afford um, things like the data, the printing stuff out, um, may not have the amount of devices, et cetera, that are needed, are mm. just basically pulling their kids out of school. So it's really sad, and I hope that there's something that 
can change about this. Maybe, I don't know, Philippine government can, can fund, um, you know, making blended learning more available for people with lower income, getting them the internet connection, et cetera, because it would be really sad if a whole group of people lose their education because of the pandemic. Yeah. And so for our feature interview this week, guys, I spoke with Laurel Chor, um, again, former um, editor and uh, multimedia producer for Coconuts Hong Kong, based in Hong Kong. She covered the 2014 Occupy Hong Kong protest for us, did a fantastic job. Um, she uh, recently wrote a story for The Guardian, uh, the famous UK paper, all about her experience of traveling back to Hong Kong from France, uh, which happened, I think, only about two weeks ago in the absolute midst of the pandemic. Um, and she wrote about her experiences and all the ins and outs of flying long haul during the pandemic. Give it a listen. So we are here today with Laurel Chor, um, who is based in Hong Kong. Laurel, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm a freelance journalist, photographer, and filmmaker based in Hong Kong. For the last year, I've been covering the protests in Hong Kong and a little bit of the COVID epidemic. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, just based in Hong Kong, I got out of quarantine two weeks ago and trying to get back into the swing of things. Sure. Um, for those who don't know, Laurel won a Society of Publishers in Asia Award for us, for Coconuts, back in 2015 for her very awesome and um, touching and important photo essay on Mui Thomas, a young lady in Hong Kong who has a skin disease called Harlequin ichthyosis, uh, which was just a very, um, yeah, a moving story about this lady who has this problem but who is making the best of her life and who is actually really into rugby. So Laurel used to work for Coconuts. Yes, that was my first real media job and yeah. definitely where I cut my teeth as a journalist and yeah, it was a lot of fun. Still look back on those days with a lot of fondness. Fondly. And, <laughs> and since then, where have you worked? Uh, since then, I was a producer for Vice News Tonight on HBO for two years. And mm -hmm. then about a year and a half ago, I decided to go freelance. And since then, I've been able to focus more on photography and just kind of do my own thing, which so far has worked out. Very cool. Yeah, for those that don't know Laurel, um, she's big on Twitter and Instagram. She's been covering the Hong Kong protests for years, but especially obviously the recent um, iteration that launched last year. Uh, but let's talk about your flight back to Hong Kong, which did go viral, to use a term that I hate, um, from your tweets, kind of tweet, doing a tweet storm or whatever you might call it, a thread. Uh, tweeting your your flight back to Hong Kong from Europe. Um, so how long ago was it? I came back, I landed in mid-May, so just about a month ago, just under a month ago, um, and then I was in quarantine for two weeks. So I got out of quarantine about two weeks ago. Got it. And in terms of the pre-flight preparations you had to do to be able to fly into Hong Kong, 
what did you have to do? Because obviously that must have been pretty restricted and, and still restricted. Well, I knew that when I landed, I would have to be tested and that I would um, have to wait for the test results at the airport and that I'd be in quarantine for two weeks after that. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't, I, you know, I probably was a little bit underprepared. Mm-hmm. Um, I was definitely anxious about just even flying um, at the time. But, you know, I brought masks, obviously. I brought gloves, but I didn't end up using them. I also brought goggles, but I didn't end up using them. So I just kind of used a lot of hand wipes, wet wipes and uh, hand sanitizer. And I changed my mask every couple hours. And um, obviously it worked out for me, but some people were wearing like full on hazmat. So but other than that, you know, other than making sure you had your own supplies, it wasn't really, there wasn't much to prepare though. In retrospect, I probably would have brought more snacks. <laughs> <laughs> but there wasn't any like paperwork you had to do to be able to fly into Hong Kong. Um, when I checked in, both in Paris where I flew from and in London where I had my layover, they like really made sure that um, I was actually living in Hong Kong, which they just did by looking at my Hong Kong ID. So really, it was just. Uh, that that was different um yeah just making sure i actually lived there because hong kong only allowed residents in so i suppose the airlines would have it would have been on them to to fly me back if it turned out i didn't have the right to stay in hong kong got it yeah because i think in singapore where i live you do really even if you're a singaporean or a pr you have to go through a full application process even to be able to fly into the country right now but um I guess that was not the case in Hong Kong, and Hong Kong has had a lot less overall cases than Singapore, so maybe that's why. Um, yeah, I guess I don't know how it works with you guys, but you know, if you have a Hong Kong ID, then you are a resident. Basically. Yeah, that's so. As long as you have that, you're allowed in. Got it. And so you wrote a story about it in the Guardian, which was great, which I just read. Um, you talked about how empty the airports were. What was that like? And were you truly the only person in the airports in Paris and London? Uh, Paris felt a little busier. Um, like, you know, there were at least maybe a couple flights checking in. Though some mm-hmm. parts of the airport were just completely empty. It just felt um, a little more busy. You know, there were guards and, and like stores were open and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then in London, it was like, I really do think um, there might have been a few people who had arrived super early for their flight or who were on a layover. But other than that, like literally everyone in the airport was on my flight and it wasn't, there were like 100 people on my flight. So it was, or it was like me, 100 people and staff, like some staff, like when I went through security. I was literally the only person like I didn't have to stand in line and I didn't see anyone until like I was almost done. Wow. Um, yeah. So that was weird. And and like it was so quiet. It was nothing was open. Like none of the stores. There was no there were no um, pay announcements. There was no uh, music. It was just very, very quiet. Weird. Mm-hmm. Must have felt apocalyptic. <laughs> yeah. Definitely like zombies might come out running at any moment. <laughs> and then when you were on the flight, so you said you had um, gloves and a mask and goggles, but you mainly just used a mask. Um, 
Was there any different procedures to anything on the flight or was it pretty normal? And how full was the flight? I believe the flight was about a third full. Um, I had splurged and used miles to buy a business class ticket because I figured I don't know when I'm gonna, yeah, (laughs) I don't know when I'm going to be able to use the miles ever again. And if there's any time where I can justify using up miles. Get that separation. (laughs) Exactly. So I'm, I'm lucky I had those miles. Um, and I'm like a little surprised they, the airline let me use miles during a pandemic, but I guess, you know, they kind of have to, um, But the flight was about a third fall. Um, there were, I mean, I'm surprised there weren't more changes. Like the staff, besides the one attendant who welcomed us onto the plane with like this very loosely fitted mask that kept falling off his face. Like, I don't think anyone else wore a mask, which is crazy to me. Of the flight yeah. attendants. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that, that was insane. And, you know, there weren't, the only thing that was different was that Clearly, like, catering services aren't functioning. So it was just, like, um, packaged, prepackaged, not hot meals. Yeah. Um, Oh, okay. And also, like, I always, you know, I'm a vegetarian and I request a vegetarian meal every time. But they, like, I guess chose to ignore that. Um, Oh, that's a bummer (laughs) on a long-haul flight. Yeah, I mean, they, they, the, the... you know, the sandwiches were all vegetarian, but, like, there were definitely, like, meat snacks along with it. Um, but anyway, it was, so, you know, was, that was probably the thing that was most glaringly different was mm-hmm. the fact that there was no hot food. It was, like, clearly they just, like, scrounged together these boxes and, like, that's what they passed out throughout the plane. Got it. Um, and then even the bathrooms, like, I was surprised, like, they still had, like, you know, like, the little stack of paper cups which to me seems so unhygienic in a mm. time of pen- pandemic, like, and like, you know, not stacked from a dispenser, just like stacked on the, the table. So like, you'd have to like touch it and definitely touch the rims of other cups to get a cup. And, you know, so I, I was surprised there weren't more, you know, protocols in place, especially considering how bad the epidemic is in, in, in the UK. Yeah. But um, people, the passengers were definitely prepared. Some people had like full on face shields, goggles, gloves, and a full on like body, head to toe bodysuit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they went to the bathroom. Interesting. But, uh, yeah. So that I think is probably overkill. But um, I mean, it was surprisingly not that different, which is sure. worrying, actually. Yeah. And do you want to reveal the airline? Oh, yes. It was British Airways. Oh, okay. Got it. Interesting. Um, yeah, I suspect that may be changing because uh, this was a month ago, which, you know, a lot has changed in the last month. But I think that all airlines are really, at least so I've heard, starting when the ones that, you know, haven't been flying, when they're restarting flying, they're really talking about all the protocols they're putting in place. But um doesn't sound like that was really the case here. Um, and then tell us about when you landed and got tested and the immigration and, and procedure to get back into Hong Kong. So when I landed, uh, there were like all these stations you had to go through and each station was a different step. So we had filled in forms on the plane, but they're just like hastily photocopied and like one clearly was wrong because it was like 
the same form on both the front and the back. Mm-hmm. And when we land, so I fill them in anyway, but when we landed, they're like, no, you have to fill them in again because those are photocopies. We need to fill in originals, which, and, you know, the one that had been photocopied front and back was actually a duplicate. So, like, whoever did that really messed up there. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, you're supposed to, so we filled in, like, a health declaration as well as two, like, a du- um, an original and duplicate of a quarantine order. So, it's, like, a legal document, actually, that would be stamped later. So, we filled mm-hmm. in those forms. And then we had to, yeah, these signs with QR codes. And we had to download an app. It's the app they used to track you. And once they made sure that you downloaded it, you could get it to the next step. And then so I had to call, give my phone number to a worker and he called my phone to make sure it worked. And yeah. I didn't have my SIM card back in yet. So I had to like, they waited. I had to like stand there and change my SIM card before they let me through mm-hmm. um, after making sure it was actually worked and then they gave me a tracking bracelet and they activated a tracking bracelet and they linked the tracking bracelet to my phone and then um got to another official who kind of gave me he gave me an information packet with like guidelines on you know the whole quarantine process and explained what was going to happen and inside the booklet there was this form this like table I have to fill in with my temperature twice a day during quarantine and another form where I had to fill in like all the details of the transportation I took home. And then he was the one, I guess I was like a health official, was the one who actually stamped and signed my quarantine order. Um, he asked me if I had a thermometer. I wasn't entirely sure, so he gave me one. And then <laughs> I went through customs, well, I went through immigration and then got my bags as normal and then walked through customs. And there you had to, like, it was all cordoned off and you, as you followed it, you got taken onto a bus um you know people oh. helped your put your luggage underneath got a bus you got off the bus you took your baggage off um you gave it to like a baggage storage area they gave you a luggage tag got back on the bus um and then we're taken to another facility uh turns out they're actually within walking distance of each other but i guess because they like have it in a circle they don't want us like retracing our steps or something so we got mm. back on the bus um got back in another line where uh a like health worker gave you your testing kit and explained to you that you know how to do it um Mm -hmm. she also gave you this tag that you clipped to this lanyard that they'd given us earlier these like orange red lanyards that like mark the fact that we're you know quarantinees um Mm -hmm. And, like, gave me a tag number to clip onto the lanyard. And then right behind her, there's this, like, huge hall with these three screens. And you just sit there and watch this, this you know, instructional video on how to do, collect your own sample. Um, mm-hmm. And it's actually quite, like, there's just a lot of, it's not that complicated in theory. But they kind of make it complicated because they are trying to keep it as sanitary as possible. So there are actually all these steps. And, like, it was actually a helpful video. And then from there... You were you walked into another hall and you were assigned a booth number. Um, and this is this is after you did the test or like supplied your sample, right? No, this is this is. Oh, you haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I was I was assigned a booth and then I went to the booth and then that's where you do your test. And mm-hmm. so it's like it's um a little tube that you have to spit into. We have to get like your deep saliva, deep throat <laughs> saliva. So you have to like 
you really have to hark up. Yeah. Like, yeah. The the sound that they tell you to do, <laughs> the way they spell it out is like K K K K K R R R R U U U U A. So like for demonstrative exactly. purposes. I'm sure your your podcast <laughs> listeners really appreciate that. Yes. It's um, important to know. Yeah, it's an immersive experience. And um but then like between every step you had to like you know, they're like put a tissue on the table and place your mask onto that. Then mm-hmm. sanitize your hands. Then like open the bottle and like collect your spit until it's like half full and then close it and then like sanitize it again and then like oh wipe it and then sanitize your hands and then like make sure you wrap it up like up you know standing up because i think there has been a problem with like saliva leaking and then you double bagged it and then like you took it out and brought it to um this table and like on the way there they made sure the tube was upright and then i was able to put it in uh and it wasn't until later when i posted a photo on twitter and someone pointed out that i accidentally like posted my personal information because oh, no. in between yeah because so in the baggie i knew i just saw like a printed piece of paper um but it hadn't only later did i realize like my name and phone number and like mm-hmm. id number were on there um so i guess sometime between when i handed in my forms and before and when i got my test kit someone had already typed up my information Mm-hmm. printed it out and put it into a baggie assigned to me so i didn't expect that and i never thought that like you know i didn't see anyone write on the form i didn't see any yeah. handwriting so like i was like there's no way this is personalized but it was um and then you someone walked you into the waiting hall and mm-hmm. there they like again assigned you a table and there began my eight hour wait during wow. which gave water sandwiches um snacks and um trash bags and even like collected the trash bags and gave us new ones and there was a bathroom um and wi-fi and uh it went by pretty quickly because i had gone viral and that kept me entertained (laughs) you had twitter i had twitter the (laughs) hell site that is twitter yes Um, the hellscape (laughs) (laughs) and then they like made an announcement saying that they were going to release my flight because there were other flights in the hall at this point and then you just had to wait until they called your number and they called your number and your table number so they even knew where you were sitting Mm -hmm. in the hall and then you went up there and they tell your results and then they explain what happens next and then they um give you a second test kit so you you had to get another, give another sample before your quarantine was up. Mm-hmm. And then you were free to go home. <laughs> cool. And the self-quarantine at home, how strict was that? And I know they give you a device, right? Like, are you able to leave the confines of your apartment or not at all? Like to get You're food or not, not at all? Yeah. I suppose that wouldn't be quarantine. <laughs> yeah. Though, I mean, you know. And other places they have to allow that. Uh, yeah. yeah, you're not allowed to leave for what reason? No reason whatsoever. And I yeah. think, I believe, if you like had no one to help you, then the, the government would have like come and taken out your garbage and sent you food. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, no, so I had to wear a tracking bracelet, and then 
the shotgun bracelet was like linked to my this app on my phone somehow. It's kind of unclear how it worked. And you had to like give the application permissions. And occasionally they would the app would like send a notification and ask me to sign in. Mm-hmm. I think it was a little buggy. But one time it did ask me to like scan the QR code on my tracking bracelet. So it's like making sure that you're like within range of your phone. And I, I'm guessing that the GPS on your phone, I'm guessing the tracking bracelet doesn't actually track where you are, but yeah. that it's linked to the app and the app tracks where you are. And it's assuming that you're home. I mean, it's not a foolproof system. Mm-hmm. But um, and that like uh, I got a phone call one time from an official asking if I was at home. Mm. Another time I got a phone call telling me that I was about to get video called. And when I got and they video called me via WhatsApp, made sure I was wearing the bracelet and asked me to like read out the serial number on my bracelet. Wow, um, and, that's strict. Uh, yeah, there's another. Oh, sometimes the app it happened to me once, but the app like sends a notification and you have to scan the QR code on your bracelet. Mm-hmm. That. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's very strict. And honestly, Hong Kong people, if they'd seen me outside with a tracking bracelet, they 100% would have reported me. I've, yeah, I've seen some stories about that. <laughs> people getting yelled at, right? Which fair enough. Yeah, no, totally. You should not break yeah. your quarantine. Um, were you ever, did you feel that any of it was overly invasive or, you know, violating your privacy or did that worry you at all? Or was it pretty kosher and you felt that it's for a good purpose? Well, I think, I mean, I should preface this by saying I'm probably generally under concerned about these kinds of privacy issues, Mm -hmm. but that said, um, you know, I think in this case, it's, you know, you could see the reason why they were doing, taking these steps. And, it, you know, they didn't seem like, you know, facades for, um, you know, reasons to surveil you that mm-hmm. don't fall under trying to control this virus. So, yeah. although, you know, it is an invasion of privacy. I think it was reasonable, well-explained, and just something that in this exceptional situation is an acceptable personal sacrifice. That's my opinion. And I haven't really heard anyone say otherwise in Hong Kong. I think everyone is so keen on keeping Hong Kong virus free that they are, that these, they understand these things have to be taken and, you know, have to be done. Sure. So you spent two weeks in quarantine where you had to remain in your apartment. And before that you had been in Europe for quite a while, I think. So you must've really missed um, Hong Kong where you're from. What was the first thing you did when you got out or what were you so excited to do when you could finally leave your apartment? Well, I was just really excited to go eat. Yeah, in France, of course. I've been under lockdown. So I had not had, I went, oh, the first meal I had was um, at Crystal Jade's. So I had like oh, dumplings fantastic. and noodles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I hadn't eaten in a restaurant. So that was in mid, late May. Yeah. And I hadn't eaten at a restaurant since early March. Yeah. So that's what I was enjoying, just being able to 
live life fairly normally because Hong Kong is one of the few places that you can do that right now, I think. Yeah, I haven't been in a restaurant since, um, yeah, I think mid-March. And it doesn't look like it will be till late um, June at the earliest. I didn't realize Uh, restaurants were closed in Singapore. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're all open, but only for delivery. And they they stopped serving in restaurants before they did the circuit breaker, which is what they called like the lockdown period, which began April 7th. And so I think they stopped serving about two weeks before then. Um, So Mm -hmm. it's like mid or late March, the last time I was in a restaurant. Um, So about any future flight plans or the future of flight during the pandemic, I know, you know, you're not a you're not a flight expert, but you do fly a lot. Um, I do. Any any uh, plans to fly soon? And do you feel like uh, what what are your takeaways from the experience you had? Well, I think, you know, a, a lot of people who shared those tweets were saying like, this is the future of travel or like, this yeah. is why I'm not traveling anytime soon. And I thought that was pretty arrogant of anyone to think that the places they're flying to or from will be capable of putting this into place you know like the u.s will never do this yeah Um, (laughs) the uk will never do that the uk is only now like you know be like oh maybe we should impose a mandatory quarantine on arrivals like yeah you know it's 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 just not something that's scalable or Mm -hmm. something i see most governments being capable of doing and it's certainly not something they would do for tourists, mm-hmm. um, I don't think, unless, you know, they made you pay for it yourself. So I think people kind of misinterpreted this whole experience as like, this is what future's going to look like for the foreseeable, tra- you know, what the travels, what traveling is going to be like for the foreseeable future. But it's like, no, I think really just no one's going to be able to travel, period. And yeah. some places will be doing this to allow people to come home. Yeah. Got it. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's totally very labor intensive and, um, not sustainable, expensive and not sustainable in, in a large country. Um, not that us or UK would ever even get their act together to even try or care about it. Um, (laughs) uh, well, thank you, Laurel. I just want to ask one question, last question about the protests, kind of unrelated, but now you're back in Hong Kong and covering the protests. Um, it's kind of a big question, but, and I asked this of Hillary, who's our new associate editor for Coconuts Hong Kong last week. Um, what do you think about the future of Hong Kong? What's going to happen with the protests? And are you optimistic or pessimistic about Hong Kong retaining what's made it so special over the last hundred plus years? Big question, uh, I know. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, the future is bleak. Yeah, You know, it's very grim. I think that's a word that's been thrown around a lot. It's grim because it's hard to be optimistic. And at the same time, it's like such a big abstract thing to contend with. And Mm -hmm. we literally don't know what it's going to mean for Hong Kong. But all we know is that it's not going to be good. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very bleak. I mean... I think Hong Kong will probably just end up being yet another Chinese city. Um, Maybe there are certain aspects that they'll retain, but for the most part, 
Hong Kong will just become a Chinese city, which means they'll lose everything that made it special yeah. and that you know allowed has allowed it to thrive and and you know the Hong Kong identity is very um, it's very different from the mainland Chinese identity. It's a, it's an identity in itself, of course, and yeah. so I think that's one of the hardest things is is you know you can talk about the financial implications you can talk about the legal implications even like you know the intellectual implications for journalism and, and academia but i think this loss of identity is is probably what makes me the saddest sure um and is will, would be the hardest i think to to maintain and to hold on to sure well i know that you'll be covering whatever does happen um Thank you so much, Laurel, for chatting us, chatting with us today about your uh, very interesting flight back to Hong Kong from London and Paris. Um, what are your social handles so people can follow you if they want with your coverage of the protests or whatever you may be covering? Yeah, Instagram and Twitter are the best platforms to find me, and it's just Laurel Chor. Awesome. Well, thank you, Laurel. Um, have a great day, and I hope I can come to Hong Kong and maybe see you sometime in the next months or years. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. Maybe there'll be those travel bubbles that they keep talking about. Yes, fingers crossed. Yeah. All right. Well, take care. Say hi to the dogs for me. So yeah, Lorel, um, she was quarantined at home for two weeks. She had to wait at the airport for eight hours um, after spitting in a cup, I think, to get her test result, which of course was negative. Are you guys uh, planning on flying anywhere soon? Or are you ready to go through um, regulations and, and procedures like that the next time you fly? Um. Hey, we still get our, our full annual leave, right? Just, just asking. Oh no, you lose it. <laughs> Oh, Company policy. So yeah, no pandemic <laughs> is, is <laughs> no. Yeah, everyone's got the full leave. So I don't know. I'm down with like a uh, Naomi Campbell style, like hazmat suit, head to toe, and sure. yeah, I'll disinfect all the surfaces. I actually do, by the way. Like yeah, you know, sanitize the the little touch screen and the controls before same. I get on. Smart. And this was pre-pandemic. Yeah, I'm just like this. <laughs> but yeah, so I could do the same. I would think and. I am dying to travel. Like all of my travel plans have been thrown out the window. Yeah. So like anything to get them back at this point, maybe. Yeah, I would do those. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably wait a little bit. You know, like mm. uh, let, let let summer go along first. <laughs> oh guinea yeah, pig. I'm the guinea pig. <laughs> yeah, uh, and be the guinea pig. And okay. Yeah, I think like when things like kind of hopefully like normalize that that you know yeah. you know that these are the three things that you know, that's going to happen at the airport. These are, you know, the things that you got to bring. These are the things that you don't bring. And yeah. uh, once all that stuff is kind of worked out, like, you know, in the beta phase, and then, you know, then <laughs> then maybe I'll, I'll plan it. But of course, like, you know, for work, ideally we can fly to Thailand or, or Bali soon. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see, play it by ear. Huh, maybe uh, you'll be the sacrificial lamb. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Who will it be? Who will be the guinea pig? Stay tuned uh, for next week's episode. Um, but the thing is, it's not about even the hassles of the actual um, travel, which, mm. yeah, it's part of it. It's more about, like, the quarantining and the testing. Like, in, uh, yeah, if you have to quarantine, it's just going to make it impossible. It's like, yeah, you can go to Thailand, but you got to quarantine for two weeks before you can enter the country. 
how so, a travel agency is gonna like spin this like come and view the inside of this hotel it's really scenic and beautiful yes like, just the I'm inside sure of that. the hotel <laughs> yeah if hotels were smart they would make like hotels like amazing for like you know, mm -hmm. like have everything in there. Bring bring whatever you need to from outside to that hotel. For yeah, put a, a great palm tree. <laughs> put a like VR headset. Like um, for actual quarantining within one room or, you know, like unit. Like, because mm. that does happen. That's what happened to Laurel when she went back to Hong Kong in her own apartment. She couldn't leave her apartment. And they're really strict on that. Sure. Um so it wasn't like Singapore circuit breaker where you can still go out and go to the market and buy food. It was like you, they tracked the perimeter of the apartment with your tracking device, which she had to take mm. and then you can't leave. So well, I think there is an opportunity like, okay, you're going to enter Thailand. Let's say you really do have to go through two weeks quarantine. It's like, okay, we'll quarantine in this majestic, amazing villa with a water slide and a fucking sauna and uh, this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's an opportunity. Yeah, that, that's probably the way <laughs> to keep people. That's the way forward. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think like trips would just be longer, right? Like I feel like, you know, work trips are probably better in a way. Like cause you're going to be in quarantine for two weeks. You still can work. And then once you're out, you're probably going to be there longer wherever you are if it's for work. If not, you just I think all the unnecessary like travel yeah. is not going to happen, you know? I think mm. that's what it is. That's exactly the way it's going to have to work. If if there are, you know, quarantines and things, you can't enter a country. You still can enter, but you can't enter as quickly and easily. Mm -hmm. It is going to be that, hey, I'm going for a month. I'm not going for a weekend. Um, mm -hmm. It's going to take me two damn weeks to get into the country. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's also the return, right? Because once you return from your yeah. trip, um, yeah. then you might be quarantined again. And, you know, essentially you're looking at, for a weekend, you're you're looking at a month of being in quarantine for a fun weekend out. Yeah, it comes free. It's an add-on for free. Yeah, <laughs> and when you get back, don't Facebook Live yourself getting good bakute breaking the <laughs> stay-at-home orders. That dude. Oh my god. One There's job. nothing funnier than when people get caught from their own moronic social media activity for doing bad stuff. Something about yeah, that right. just like. Um, I don't know. It's just it very poetic justice. Yeah. <laughs> it speaks to my soul. Yeah. I, I love that you're doing it so I don't have to. But like when I read it, mm, it brings me joy while I'm in here. Yeah. Yeah. Massive schadenfreude for this kind of stuff. Massive. Yeah. <laughs> the schadenfreude is just off the off the charts. Um, <laughs> anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening this week. We'll be back next Friday as always. And as always, um, we always need your support at Coconuts. Um, if you want to become a member... Go to coconuts.co slash membership, or you can make a patron payment at coconuts.co slash patron. We are also selling our beautiful, stylish, cool, comfortable uh, Coconuts brand logo white tees. Go to the website and you can find where to buy those on Teespring. Uh, thanks, guys, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye! Bye! Bye. <laughs> the Coconuts Podcast is a Coconuts Media production. Our hosts are Byron Perry, Vim Shanmugam, and Summer Lee. Our production manager is Clarissa Cortez. Mm -hmm.